The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. I want to invite you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we've been studying 1 Thessalonians, what we've, what we've discovered there is that as the Apostle Paul was starting churches, here we are 2,000 years later, we started a church in Gillette, they're doing great, running about 70, we're just, fu- we're just fulfilling this apostolic tradition. The Apostle Paul started a church in Thessalonica, and the first thing that was ever written that would go into our New Testament was 1 Thessalonians. He writes these, this to young believers about how to be kingdom people people and what that looks like. Well, we come to a passage in chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul, not so much by command or admonition, but but just by the, the story of his own life, is going to answer the question that every kingdom person eventually has. If you come to the place where you give your life to Christ, you ask for the forgiveness of sins, you know that Jesus has died for you, and he comes into your life, he, he rushes in in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, and now you know that heaven is yours, you're, you're walking this life, you eventually come to the place where you ask yourself this question, how do I know when I'm hearing God How do I know when I see the work of God, the hand of God, and how do I know when maybe it's the work of Satan in my life? Let me call your attention to this passage. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start with me in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. It's at work in you who are believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the the same kinds of things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. It was the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and his prophets and drove us out. And they displeased God and they oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with a great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, I wanted to come again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. So here we, we see this snippet of Paul's life. He's a little autobiographical here. He's talking about his own life. He, he wants to go back to Thessalonica. He really wants to get back there. But he says he's been hindered. And he uses the word hindered twice in the passage. One, he says the Jews hindered him from preaching the gospel to the Gentiles that they might be saved. That was certainly a work of Satan. But here he attributes it directly to Satan when he says, I've been hindered by Satan to coming to you. So, so as kingdom people, we... We ask the question, well, how do I know when it's God's at work and, and when it's Satan at work? And here in this passage, we've got, a little, we've got a little window to look into the life of Paul where he's talking about this is God's work and here's how Satan hindered that. So when we look at this passage, what do we discover in it? 
as, as Paul kind of gives this instruction about how to know when God's at work, how to know that God is speaking to you, how does it begin? Well, it begins like every other Bible passage that approaches this subject. First, we receive the Bible for what it is, the Word of God. What do we know about it? The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's able to discern the difference between the thoughts and the motives of every single human heart. The Word of God never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent. The Word of God is so intertwined with Jesus himself that John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You and I always separate our words from who we are. We do it in conversations where somebody says, but you said, and then we said, but I meant. God never does that. Did you know that? There's not one time where God takes his word and we read it and say, well, God, you said this. And he says, well, that's not what I meant. In fact, you know what God says? God says that all of his promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Every promise that God's ever given us, every prophecy that he's ever made has been fulfilled. And so if you want to know God's voice, if you want to know when God's at work and you want to separate that from knowing when God's at work and maybe when Satan is trying to hinder you, it begins with the objective revelation of God to himself. The problem with most Christians, I'm going to be quite honestly, is twofold. Number one, many Christians just never read this, ever. I mean, it just goes on the shelf. In fact, you probably don't even know where it's at. You come, you're going to read what's got up on the screen. You, you just don't ever look at it. So there's got to be a time in your life where you turn off the TV and you turn off the Internet and you set the phone aside, unless you're reading your Bible on your phone. But you've got to separate yourself from everything else and turn your attention to the Word of God because you're only going to know if God is moving in your life as you come to understand the person and the work and the character of God. But in this that He's given us, He's given us everything for life. The second problem that people have is they've decided that there are certain parts of this that are not true. And so just from a human point of view, they've decided, you know, I don't think I can really believe the creation story or maybe even the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Or there are people like, oh, I don't know that other miracles are probably made up. And, And so you go through this, and if you take out this part and this part and this part and this part and this part, what do you have left? And the truth of the matter is, you're not smart enough to know which parts to take out and which parts anyway. If you decide, if you decide the, the story of uh, the well swollen Jonah is not true, then what makes John 3.16 true? But if it's true, if Jesus was right when he says you will know the truth, he's talking about the word, and the truth will set you free, then you can, by taking this, begin to know the word of God. The psalmist says... Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. If you will receive this as what it is, the word of God, authoritative for your life, that God has the the right to tell you what to do and how to live, then everything will be changed for you. Do do you know everything you need is here? Did Did you know this book talks about marriage? 
You know what people do? They don't go to this book for marriage. They go to a marriage counselor. Many of you go to a secular marriage counselor, and you don't even ask. The first question you should ask a secular marriage counselor is how many times they've been married. A guy told me one time, I was out here in the fire. He said, he said, I know a lot about marriage. He said, I've been married six times. He was, he'd been divorced five times. I said, you don't know anything about marriage. You know something about divorce. <laughs> the Bible tells us about marriage. The Bible tells us about parenting. The Bible tells us what kind of uh, workers we should be with our employers. The Bible tells us how we should treat our neighbor. The Bible tells us everything about life right here. And so the reason many of you aren't hearing the word of God as he speaks to your heart is because you haven't given yourself to the study and meditation and memorization of the objective word of God. This is the basis for it. It's always the foundation. When you know God's word, now you know what God says about life. You know things about everyday life. You know things about marriage. You know things about parenting. You know things about politics because it's all right here. It will tell you everything you need to know. It's here for you. You can also discover how to please God. The Bible tells us how to please God. The, the, the scripture tells us this is, what, this is what glorifies God, this is what pleases him, this is what doesn't. Uh, I was talking to a guy the other day about baptism. He said, well, I'm going to pray about it. Did you know you don't have to pray about it? God's already commanded it. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and the voice of God from heaven said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you want to please God? Some of you should be baptized. This would be the first step of obedience for you. But there's more in it than that. So you have this, you have this objective word of God that you need to take off the shelf and give yourself to. It tells you how to live life how to please God, and then, because you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God and you have the objective word of God in your heart, you will now have the ability to hear the voice of God when it comes to stuff. I'm talking about, should you buy this house? Should you buy that car? Should you quit this job? Should you take that job? Should you date this person? Should you marry this person? You now have the ability to hear the voice of God in the individual personal things of life because those things are based on the objective things of life. Let me give you a silly illustration. If you're already married, then, you're, then God doesn't want you to marry somebody else. You understand that? You're supposed to make the marriage you have good, great, before God. Sometimes people come to me and go like, yeah, I think God's speaking to me. I should get rid of this wife and get that one. No, no, that's not God. They say, how do you know? Because I know the objective word of God. See how that makes sense? Now, that's an that's a easy illustration that everybody can understand, but that's how that process works. So God does speak to us. He speaks to our hearts, but when he speaks to our hearts, he never, ever violates his written word of God. He's given us all of it, Genesis to Revelation. And if you get where you know it and you've read it and you have applied it to your heart and life, then by doing that, you'll begin to hear God as he speaks. Secondly, I must, I must hasten on. The Apostle Paul says not only did uh, the Thessalonians receive the word of God for what it was, the word of God, but they also imitated those who had gone before him. And so this is really last week's sermon. I'm not going to re-preach it. But you should imitate those who know the word of God and whose lives match the word of God. They live it with integrity and love. And so God gives us someone, the whole sermon last week is about spiritual parents. 
He gives you a, a mentor, a coach, a spiritual parent, an accountability partner, so that you can look at them because they're ahead of you in the journey, and you can say, that's what I'm going to do, merely by imitation. Uh, one day I went to visit a guy from our church who stopped by his house. When I got there, he was working on his truck. I, I knew that because when I walked up his driveway, I saw two pair of legs sticking out from under the truck. When I got really close to them, just on the other side of those two legs were two more legs. They were about that long. And so I squatted down, and I looked at him under the truck, and there he was. He had a ratchet, you know, and he was, he was torquing on something. And then next to him was his two-year-old son who was laying on his back, and he just had his hands in the air going like this. <clears throat> what was he doing? He was imitating his dad. If that's true of the physical realm, if we learn by imitation, then it's true in the spiritual realm as well. Find somebody who's ahead of you in the journey, who loves Jesus, they love you, they know the word of God, and they will tell you the truth. They will speak the truth to you in love. Find that person and imitate them. That's how I grew up in church life. Do you know partly how I know how to teach God's word? I imitated great Bible teachers that I sat under. I sat where you sat, and I had my Bible, and I wrote it, and I filled them up. And when I filled up that Bible, I got another Bible. And I I've imitated great teachers as I teach you. Part of, part of the reason I know to pray is when I was a kid growing up in church life, I listened to great prayer warriors pray. And they had this ability to go up and grab heaven and bring it down. And I learned to pray because I listened to them pray. This is a part of the process. And this moves us to the place where we can begin to understand how God works and we can hear God speak to us And we can recognize the difference between what God's doing and what Satan's doing. Thirdly, here's a very practical point. Learn to analyze the working of the Holy Spirit and the working of Satan. Now, we know that Satan is at work in the world. How do we know that? Because we have the written word of God. And the written word of God that says that Satan is stalking around, roaming like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's at work. We also know that God is at work in the world. The scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So now I think to myself, I'm a believer, I'm a child of the king, I'm in the kingdom, I should, indwelled by the Holy Spirit and with the word of God, I should be able to look at life and go, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of Satan. I should be able to do that. You should be able to do that. Let me just give you like three really easy diagnostic questions, okay? Things to ask. Number one, when you're looking at, is this the work of God or is this the work of Satan? Ask yourself, does it please or displease God? Does this please God? If it pleases God, it's probably the work of God, isn't it? If it doesn't please God, it's not the work of God. God does everything to glorify himself. God never does anything halfway. There are no 50 shades of gray with God. God doesn't go halfway. He, he does his work in the light. He does it with eternal life, with abundant life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Start to recognize that. God doesn't, God doesn't meet with his angels and say, how are we going to spin this? That is not the work of God. Secondly, ask yourself, you're looking at a, 
but something that you might want to do or something you're thinking about or decision to make, ask yourself, does this, if I do this, will this move me toward godly desire? Does this move me to desire God more? Or does it move me more towards sin? Let me use a very easy illustration. When I, when I worked with a student ministry for years and, and we would talk about moral purity and sexual purity, sometimes guys in a moment of, of transparency and authenticity would say, okay, so what I want to know is, okay, I know, I know I'm not supposed to have sex with my girlfriend. I'm not supposed to have sex until I get married. But what I want, really want to know is, how, how close can I get to that before I've crossed the line? Solomon already answered the question. He said, you can't take fire into your bosom and not be burnt. And in the days of Solomon, you didn't put a flashlight down your shirt. It was fire. And what, what he's really saying is, how close can I come to acting like Satan before I've crossed the line? Do you know what I, you know, we know, I know? He's already in trouble. Because he's turned his back on what Christ wants. He's thinking about what I want. The question is, how close can I come to heaven before I actually am going to cross over and get there. Can I, can I really act like Christ? It's, a, it's an important question because it indicates the condition of the heart. And then lastly, I would say this. Not only does it, does it please God, not only does it move me to uh, desire godly things, but does it help or hinder in the salvation of others? This is the word that the Apostle Paul uses twice in this passage, hinder. Is it possible that you say to yourself, well, doing this isn't a sin? The question is, does it help people move into heaven? Does it help them come to eternal salvation? There are so many churches today, they're meeting this morning just like us. And the Apostle Paul actually says this to the Corinthian church. He says, when you meet together, it would be better if you didn't meet. They were such a hindrance to the gospel. There are some churches where no one ever gets saved because the people there are hindering that. You say, are they actively sinning? They're hindering people coming to Christ. They certainly are. The things that you do in life, do they actually move people toward the cross? Do they move people toward Jesus? Or because of you, are they really moving the other direction? Now, if you can ask yourself those questions, you can figure out mostly what to do in life. You mostly know, am I just trying to get as close to sin as I can? Does this, it doesn't really please God? Am I hindering people? Or am I actively, intentionally, authentically moving to be more like Christ and moving people towards him? That brings us to the fourth thing in this passage. It's really the most beautiful part of this passage. Look at it beginning in verse uh, 19. The Apostle Paul, after he just says, man, I really wanted to come to you. I want to see you face to face, but Satan hindered me. He says in verse 19, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting? And then he says, isn't it you? Listen to the affection in his language as he speaks to those in Thessalonica. You're my hope. You're my joy. You're my crown. So the fourth thing, if we want to hear the voice of God and we want to know what God's doing in our lives, the fourth thing is to focus on that which has eternal value. And what's the only thing on this planet that has eternal value? You know, this planet, this planet 
it's, it, it's not going to last forever. Do you know that? The scripture says at the end it will be consumed with fire. And that God will make a new heaven and a new earth. So everything on this planet, your clothes, your house, your truck, your flat screen TV, your bank account, not going to make it, not going to make it to eternity. What's the only thing on this planet that has eternal value? People. People are the only thing that have eternal value. And so, you want to hear the voice of God? You want to know how God's at work in your life? Then start looking at the people that God's placed in your life. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? That's kind of a letdown. You're like, oh, that's what God's called me to? I heard a poem one time. It went like this. Oh, to be in heaven above with the people we love, that will be glory. But to be here below with the people we know, that's another story. People are hard. People will say bad things about you. They'll gossip about you. People will hurt you. People will steal from you. They'll lie to you. But people are what Jesus died for. He didn't die to redeem creation. No. I love watching National Geographic. There are awesome things about our creation. But the redemption is for the pinnacle of God's creation. It's for the soul of humanity. And so you want to know what God's doing? You're asking yourself, God, are you, are you asking me to do this? Are you asking me to do this? I want to hear the voice of God. Then look at the people in your life because that's what it's about. He died for people. God so loved the people of the world that he gave his one and only son. That's what we focus on. Now, I've run out of time, but there's one last thing here that I want you to see. And it's just, it's just the beautiful part of this passage. Once again, he says, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting? Do you see that phrase? Lastly, if you want to hear the voice of God and you want to know when God's at work in your life, train your spirit to hope, rejoice, and boast in the right things. The problem with us, um, the problem with modern Americans is we're very emotionally driven. And uh, if you follow your emotions and you do what your emotions tell you to do, then you're going to be wrong 90% of the time, maybe 99% of the time. Your, your emotions were never made to be the locomotive of your life. They were always made to be the caboose. So what you've got to do is to train your spirit, this is the life of sanctification, to hope and rejoice and boast in the right things. And that means you've got to change the way you think. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Think the way Jesus thinks. That's the important part of this. So here's a good, here's a good test. Which would make you more excited today? Which would make you happier? If someone today gave their life to Christ or when you got home you found out someone died and left you a million dollars. Now, before you answer too quick, Most of us are on the million-dollar list, let's be honest. What does that mean? It means if if I, my emotions would go up and and I'd be more excited about the million dollars than about someone having eternity in heaven, then I'm rejoicing about the wrong stuff. Then, Then my emotions aren't leading me in the right direction. I've got to take, once again, we go right back to where we started the sermon, the Word of God given to us by God himself, the revelation of his character, and I take that and apply it to my life, and it tells me what I should feel and when I should rejoice 
and what really is worth investing in this world. And as I train myself to do that, I train myself to look like Christ. And then I, then I put myself in a place where I can hear the voice of God. And that's really what this is about. I think every kingdom believer, I think part of the reason you're here this morning is you want to know how to hear the voice of God. You want to be able to look at your life and know that that's God. Most, most Christians listen to God through the situations of their life. They have situational theology. And so if they do win a million dollars, they think, God's blessed me. And if they get laid off, they think, God hates me. That's not how God works at all. Situations come and go. Emotions come and go. But the Word of God lasts forever. And when we come to understand that, then we get to the place where we will hear His voice. I'm saying to you, you have the Word of God. But I'm also saying to you, you can hear the voice of God. People have said to me, sometimes kind of making fun of me, oh, you hear the voice of God? Do you hear an audible voice? My answer to that is, no, it's louder than that. You can mishear an audible voice. But when God speaks to my soul, he speaks with such power and conviction that I couldn't possibly misunderstand it. How do you know? Because based on his word, I've trained myself, I've grown to be able to hear his voice. It's really not hard at all. Let me close by saying this. When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in, a, in, a, in America where uh, most of us had abusive mothers, and they made us go outside and play. Um, we didn't have video games. We didn't sit. There was no, nobody had ever heard the phrase couch potato. We all went outside and played because that's what kids did when I grew up. And like a lot of neighborhoods, we actually had one vacant lot, and that was our sand lot. That's where we played baseball. It's where we played football. It's where we played. And all the boys of the neighborhood would gather there, and we would play until all of a sudden things started to change. There'd be a voice, and it would say, dinner! And then Johnny would leave the game. And then there'd be another voice, dinner! Sam would leave the game. Maybe the next voice would be my mom, who, dinner! And I knew the voice of my mom. The first voice, and that, I knew that wasn't my mom. I might have not known which boy it was, but Johnny knew that was his mom. The next voice, Sam knew that was his mom. When I heard my mom say, dinner, I knew her voice. How did I know? Because I went to a conference on knowing the voice of your mom? Uh-uh. Because she held me and swaddled me and nursed me and loved me and fixed my skin knees and washed my clothes cooked my meals and I lived in her house I lived in her presence I heard her voice on such a regular basis that even though I was several houses down playing in a sandlot when I heard her voice I knew it this is what I want to say to you if you'll live with God in his word if you'll abide in his word John 15 if you'll imitate those who abide in his word, if you'll recognize that the Holy Spirit's at work and Satan's at work, and that you really can recognize it if you'll look at it and pay attention, when you've got a place where you go, I- I've got a decision to make, you'll be able to hear the voice of God because you've walked with him. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. 
Is it possible that you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord? That's the beginning place for you. You're not going to be able to hear the voice of God until you've given him your life. And that happens at the cross of Christ. That's where you recognize that he died to pay for your sins. And this morning, if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and your life, he will do that. His word says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You can start at that place this morning. Maybe some of you today, you need to check in just a little bit when we do the response card. You need to check, I need to be baptized. Because here you are, you've been talking about pleasing God and you haven't even done the first step of obedience. Maybe that's the step for you. Maybe for some of you this morning, you, you know, and really the thrust of the sermon is, you're not spending enough time in the Word of God to hear God when He speaks. So it's time to turn off the TV and turn off the radio and turn off the Internet and just go into the Word of God and let it saturate your soul so that when God speaks to you, you will know. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you would say this morning, Paul, pray for me. I do do have a decision coming up and I need to hear the voice of God. And you just lift your hand and say, pray for me. I've got an important decision. Yes, 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 yes. Several of you, yes. How many of you would say, Paul, uh, pray for me. I I have a decision and I, I actually already know what God wants me to do, but I need the faith to do it. And you'd raise your hand and say, I know what I need to do. Pray for my faith. Yes, God bless you. Yes, yes. God bless you. How many of you, as we talked about investing in the people around you, you know that God's put a person in your life and you know that they have eternal value, that their soul is made in the image of God and you know that's someone you need to invest in. You raise your hand and say, pray for me. Oh, all over the room, most of us. God, you've seen our hands, you know our hearts, you know the work that you've done in us this morning. We know it is your desire that we hear your voice, that we know your voice that we see when you're at work in the world and that we can't separate that from the work that Satan's trying to do to confuse us. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning that by saturating their souls with your word, by walking with you, by walking with people who walk with you, Father, by looking at things with eternity's eye, by setting their emotions aside, Father, they would begin to hear your voice. Father, grow us up. Grow us up in that way that we can become the people who can hear your voice. Do this for your glory and your honor. Do it for your eternal praise. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, here's Paul's benediction to us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go in the grace of God. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.